0: Hello and welcome to DFS Coach Talk. It is Wednesday, May 27th, 2020. I am Andrew Hansen, joined by Santino Cocone, As we continue our 32-day coverage of the NFL from a DFS perspective, one team at a time. We're on Team 28 here. It's the Baltimore Ravens. And Santino Cocon has so much dedication that he's gone mm-hmm. all the way down to Hollywood, Florida, to hang out with Hollywood Brown and... You know, the man, the myth, legend, Lamar Jackson. So, Santino, how are things down in South Florida?
1: (laughs) Uh, It's really nice out here. Very, very sunny. I'm watching them warm up. Uh, Hollywood's looking good, looking real fast. Uh, Hopefully he doesn't hit a a crazy spiral turn like his his cousin out there, but uh, they're looking good together. I I see big things.
0: Yeah, man, they really uh, were... They got out of the gates kind of hot there, didn't they? We, I mean, we don't really need to talk about week one because uh, I know it would pain you uh, as a Dolphins fan. But man, Jackson just thrust onto the scene with those five touchdown passes, uh, and and Brown, Hollywood Brown was going deep, and um, you know, before before you know it, before you knew it, um, Lamar Jackson had finished up one of the most incredible seasons in NFL history. I mean, can you imagine? Leading the league in touchdown passes with 36, but also leading the league in yards per carry at 6.9. Somehow hmm. Lamar Jackson was able to accomplish both of those feats.
1: Yeah, uh, it's just something incredible. You, you're, it's very hard to see that happening again with anybody because that's just a season that is uh, unstoppable. And his floor last year was uh, on the third floor of a high-rise building, it was just it, there wasn't any, and his ceiling was just through the roof. Uh, and see big things to come because I was just a second year, first year as a
0: starter. Wow, this this guy has a
1: lot of talent.
0: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the third floor because what we always try to do here with the DFS breakdown on on DraftKings is look for that 3x return, and he was incredible. He hit value 13 out of 15 games last year. Uh, just something I haven't seen. In fact, his average point production was so strong that it was higher than three times his highest price. So he Mm -hmm. ranged in price from 6.8 up to 8.4K on DraftKings, but he averaged 28 fantasy points a week. It was incredible.
1: (laughs) And if you had him that first week when no one saw that coming, maybe he was a little priced higher because the Dolphins, I can't fully remember, but uh if you had him that first week, wow, you
0: you were ahead of the curve on everyone. Yeah, seriously. And our man Shane Caldwell here is part of the team at DFS Coach Talk. You know, I guess he was all over Lamar Jackson last year and uh his Super Bowl prediction last year was accurate. He 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 faded the Ravens, but this year he's picking the Ravens to get to the Super Bowl. So uh, you know, that's gonna be the talk of the off season is is can can they get there? Uh and, and can they put it all together? So uh, we want to welcome everybody in. Um, you know, Santino is the man on the East Coast. He actually is mm-hmm. not down, down in Florida today. Um, but uh, you know that's the de- dedication he has. and uh, we've really enjoyed this uh, NFL coverage. We thank you for all of your support. Um, give us a thumbs up if you don't mind or like wherever you're listening. Po- our podcasts are everywhere that podcast can be found. And we've been putting up our NFL coverage here on YouTube with the daily video. Uh, the podcast come out mid-afternoon. So please be sure to subscribe so you get those notifications. And here at DFS Coach Talk, we focus on the eye test as we help our members build lineups. And we give out uh full lineups on FanDuel and we give player pool advice on DraftKings for NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball. And we're also in the midst of some KBO coverage, the Korea Baseball Organization, and we're giving out free advice to our members there. So uh, hit up our website at DFSCoachTalk.com and snag one of our weekly, men- monthly, or annual memberships. All right, Santina, let's start breaking down this Baltimore Ravens squad that went 14-2 and last year and then had an abrupt exit from the playoffs. I mean, what hmm. a disappointment. Um I was certainly pegging them for the AFC title game, but um, they ran into Derrick Henry at all. And uh, so now that now they've got to regroup and try to figure out, you know, how they can finish off that terrific regular season next year uh, with a more successful run in the playoffs. So they've got their – the key components of their coaching staff back. Uh, John Harbaugh has really solved the riddle with Lamar Jackson. Um, He's got Greg Roman back as his offensive coordinator. And, you know, these numbers are are kind of fun. They were number one in points with 531, second in yardage. And they were down at the bottom in terms of passing yardage because they were number one in rushing yardage. And they set an NFL record with 5.5 yards per carry as a team. And then here's the crazy thing. Even though their passing yardage was was low – they still were number one in passing touchdowns with 37 and number two in rushing touchdowns with 21. So it was just an unstoppable force. They would, you know, bulldoze down the field on the ground and then you punch it in a lot through the air. Um, but, you know, just incredible. And and then they've gone out and added DJ Fluker uh, to the offensive line. This is a former first round draft pick who's been with Seattle. So, you know, is it possible, Santino, that this rushing attack could be even better? Um, I don't know if you can get better than what they did last year
1: in sp- terms of rushing, especially. They were first in pretty much everything, and if they weren't first, they were second on all terms rushing offense. DJ Fluker's a pretty good addition, but they did lose Marshall Yonda, who might have been their first or second best offensive lineman. But what I think is crazy is uh, you mentioned all the all the stuff that they had. They were first in passing touchdowns, even though they were. Last in the league in completions and towards the bottom of the league in, in yards. Something that I find extremely crazy in, in terms of that is they were third in the league in overall yards per play, and they led the league in rushing by or rushing attempts by almost a little over a hundred rushing attempts before the Niners, and they still were third in the league in yards per play. The fact that they they were clearly a run-first dominant team, run-oriented. And they were that dominant on a yards per play basis is is just unbelievable. Uh, it's going to be extremely hard for them to duplicate that, but if you have this guy at quarterback, with, it's one of the best, if not the best, dual threat guy out there. Um, I think it it is pretty doable. And one thing that they didn't do is they didn't turn the ball over. They were 29th in the league. They only had 15 total turnovers last year. Uh, eight of them came from or six of or only a handful came from Lamar Jackson. And it was just, wow, this, this team was firing on all cylinders. But then they met Derrick Henry, who was just an unstoppable force for a few
0: games there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 29th in, in turnovers in terms of the 29th most. So they ranked third in that category. And they won that turnover battle by 10. And that was certainly part of the formula. But you're right. With a, with a team that's that heavy in the rushing game, you normally think that their, <laughs> their average play is not going to be top three in the NFL, but they just gashed everybody on the ground and Jackson was unstoppable. So man, what, what a formula. And, you know, you talk about Jackson and, and the way he protected the ball, you know, that first year when he got the late starts, uh, he only, he only passed for six touchdowns. He had three interceptions. Mm. And so what he did last year was he doubled his interceptions from three to six, but he multiplied his touchdowns by six. (laughs) He went from six to 36, and then only only five fumbles despite all those carries. So just tremendous. Yeah, our, you know, our hats go off to Lamar Jackson. Congratulations on an incredible season. And, you know, Santino, the defense wasn't too shabby either. <laughs> they, <laughs> no. They only it's gave a, up 17 points a game, which was third overall. Yeah. I mean,
1: that's how you win 14 games. You, you have a, an offense that can't be stopped when they're running the ball, uh, a quarterback that was taking care of the ball, and then a defense that wasn't too bad themselves. Like you mentioned, total defense and points, yards, uh, turnovers. They were all towards the top. Uh, they had 12 fumbles re- recovered, 13 interceptions. Uh, this team not only was holding you down, but they were they were causing turnovers, and they were making big things about it. And they only gave up 276 first downs, which was second best in the league. Uh, <laughs> it was just a well-oiled machine. John Harborough had them running, and it was all part of Lamar Jackson, um, who – came into the league people were questioning if he can com- uh, complete throws at the way he at the rate he did but he showed that if if you have to if he can get out on the edge especially with every everybody on the rushing attack uh, if he can get out on the edge and, and you have to play one-on-one coverage uh, he was making throws and he was making people pay
0: yeah and, and um, as we break down a few more of those defensive numbers uh and then you can get into some of the personnel changes but in terms of that yardage they were under 5,000 yards allowed, which was fourth, and sixth in passing yards allowed, fifth in rushing yards allowed. So just very stingy. Um, again, dominant in every way. So uh, I know you've been tracking some of the personnel changes. There there has been some significant turnover for, for this defense.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, last year they made probably their biggest splash when they, they got Marcus Peters for pennies on the dollar. Uh, that was huge for them. But that- – um this year they they lost Brandon Carr, they lost we mentioned Marshall Yonda. Um we'll stick to the defense. They they lost Chris Wormley, they lost Tony Jefferson. Um they lost Kenny Young, Patrick Anwasar. A lot of starters from their team last year, but they did gain two big defensive ends in uh, Derek Wolf and Calais Campbell, two very good veterans that are going to provide some stability to that front and they drafted they had 10 draft picks um six in the first three rounds so they were loading up on what they needed one of those picks they they added a surplus to a, an offensive position they did not need but it's only going to make them better there but they did draft two linebackers uh, that should start i think patrick queen's going to walk into a starting job day one i mean he, he should they lost two starting linebackers already and malik harrison is either going to start or be heavy in the rotation there. Uh, so I, in this, this secondary is already locked in with, with Peters leading the way that Jimmy Smith should be back from injury. It's a very good team out there.
0: Yep. Big things, uh, big things coming from the Ravens again. So let's start to break down this crew offensively one position at a time. We've talked a little bit about Lamar Jackson. We might as well celebrate him a little bit more. Um, <laughs> he had only one 300-yard gain passing, and we, we talked about the low passing volume overall with only 3,127 yards passing from Lamar in his 15 starts. He took that last week of the regular season off, um, but 7.8 yards per attempt, uh, and how about this? A star quarterback who leads the NFL in passing touchdowns had 500-yard rushing games himself. And like we mentioned, average 6.9 yards per carry. So um, in terms of the 2020 outlook, do you think they're going to hand the ball off? Well, they won't have to hand it off, but do you think (laughs) he'll keep it as much as he did uh, and and end up tallying that many carries? Or perhaps do you think they'll they'll go to the air a little bit more and have him hand it off more?
1: Um, Depends on how the game flow is playing, but they're going to play to this guy's strengths and this guy's strength is a lot of options we saw it in his rookie year as well even though he was coming out of even when he was coming off the bench behind Flacco they brought him in for a handful of plays Um, and then when he started they were they were doing this run pass option but whatever's working is is what this guy is going to do and if I just told you that he was a running back take all his passing yards and passing statistics out if I said um, yeah, if we're talking about 176 rushes for 1,206 yards and seven touchdowns at uh, almost seven yards per carry clip, if I'm saying that, that's a really good guy to target in, in DFS and fantasy on its own. So that that's the floor for this guy, and he's not a running back. He's a quarterback, and it's just – I don't know if he's going to do 36 touchdowns and six interceptions again. That's that's where I think the regression is going to come because that's just insane for him to do that again with those rushing numbers. But the floor is – he's going to be expensive, obviously, as the MVP, but the floor is there for this guy. If you, if you can rush over 1,000 yards and maybe get double-digit touchdowns as a quarterback running, uh, your floor is safe in fantasy because you get more points rushing the ball than passing.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned the, the floor, and that's because of his dual-threat uh, nature. He had 11 of 15 games with at least two touchdowns, whether that be passing, running, or combined – and then, as we mentioned, 13 out of 15 games, he got you 3x return on DraftKings. And normally, with these players, as you track their, you know, games in the teens, and the 20s, and the 30s, you know, it's like, it's like a trend down like this. But his trend is up. He only had one <laughs> game in in the te- in the teens, six in the 20s, and eight in the 30s. <laughs> and this guy is just a freak. Um. So man, was was he productive? So. Um, yeah, I'm expecting big things from him, and and I agree. It'll depend on the game plan, and he'll just do whatever it takes. Uh, some and weeks he'll throw for four touchdowns, some weeks he'll he'll run for two or three. And one thing that was
1: refreshing to see especially with him and the team is they weren't afraid to run the score up on anybody that first week they would the dolphins had were, were done by minute three and they just kept piling on touchdowns and touchdowns and touchdowns so they are not afraid to run up the score and that's only better for lamar jackson because you know uh, if they're up by 25 points he might do a play action here and and, and marcus brown could beat anybody deep with his speed so um uh, it's only benefits them that you don't have to worry too much about blowouts, which they're probably going to get into a few,
0: yeah, you're right. It's a little bit like the Patriots. and you know <laughs> Belichick also you know always gets criticized, you know, why is Tom Brady still on the on the field with three minutes left in the fourth quarter and you're up by thirty? But it's just a combination of that mentality of playing every play to your potential and you know Brady being a competitor not wanting to come off the field. and I, I think we've seen that same. Sort of approach with Harbaugh and the Ravens, like you said. So um, now, the, the funny thing is, as we talked on talked about a little bit before we started here today, is despite all these massive numbers, it's it's really challenging <laughs> to find value in terms of DFS from anybody else on this roster. And we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. But first, we'll we'll just touch on RG3. Uh, I'm glad for his sake that he found uh, a situation that makes sense. He's the perfect backup to Lamar Jackson, and he got a start in the last game of the regular season last year. Uh, he didn't need to pass much. They beat uh, the Steelers easily, but he ran it eight times for 50 yards. So he sh- he showed he still has that dual threat uh, capability. And, you know, I was surprised to see. I didn't realize what his 40 time is. Do you remember what that is? Can you guess? Yeah, he was- I think it was under 4-4, I believe. Yeah, it was 4-3-3. <laughs> yeah, that was before all oh, the injuries. I know. Yeah, just a shame. But, you know, man, what what a weapon. So um, he's got uh, career numbers of 9,000 passing yards, 43 touchdowns, 28 picks. Um, and then career, he's got 1,740 yards rushing with 10 touchdowns. So, again, really nice compliment to Lamar Jackson if if he gets out there for a start or two. Yeah. And
1: the cool thing about it is, I know he's not going to put up Lamar Jackson numbers, but they don't have to change their offense because he is pretty similar to Lamar Jackson. And he was Lamar Jackson before he got hurt and everything. But you keep the same offense, you have the run pass option, and it, it's pretty good for everybody involved. Yes, it is.
0: Now, we, we've talked about this rushing attack overall that certainly was led by Lamar Jackson. But uh, let's start to break down this group and you know figure out where we can find some value Mark Ingram is the first guy that comes to mind the lead back who got a thousand yards and 10 touchdowns, but he was pretty balanced, you know, not, not as explosive as Lamar Jackson. Uh, what are your thoughts on Ingram from a DFS perspective?
1: It, it, like we said before we went on, it's very tough because Ingram is a really good running back. He's a good player in his own right. He averaged five yards per carry last year. His career is 4.6. So he's no slouch. Um, three-time pro bowler in three out of four years. He's averaged over a thousand yards that one year. He didn't in the between. He got hurt. Uh, and he had 29 catches 20 or 26 catches on 29 targets last year. He's a very capable receiver. Um, but it's just, it's, it's very hard because they have him. Lamar Jackson's going to get his, they just brought in a new guy. Who's looks awesome. Gus mm. Edwards is good. Uh, Justice Hill. They drafted last year. There's so much depth to this. It's like, how much food is around the table to go around for all of these guys to get it. But for me, if I'm going to take one of these running backs um, in the right matchup, it would be Ingram because he is the most consistent of them all. And he's shown that he's a thousand yard rusher who can get in the end zone and he probably has the best hands of this group. Uh, Maybe JK Dobbins wants to change that, but uh, yeah, on any other team Ingram's like a lock it in starter, but here, even though they had almost 600 rushing attempts, it's hard because of the way that they integrate everybody into the offense.
0: Yeah, you're right. He finished with only 202 carries, which isn't very much for a guy who uh, who started 15 games. But I, I think it was wise because he's getting up there in age. He's 30 years old now, and they really managed his carries. He only went over 16 carries in a ball game once last season, and so that was the sort of the the, the data behind what you're talking about with. You know, not enough production to go around even in this rushing attack. So um, he just wasn't high volume. But as you mentioned, five yards a carry. um, He only ended up with 400 yard rushing games and Lamar Jackson had five. So just a strange situation for a lead running back who gets five yards a carry and 10 touchdowns to be overshadowed so much by the quarterback. But um, that's what it was like last year as he managed to hit value five out of 15 weeks on DraftKings. And, you know, I think there's a decent chance it's going to be similar this year because Gus Edwards is back and they spent a second round draft pick on J.K. Dobbins, who looks like the real deal. So where do you turn next in this backfield after Mark Ingram? Ooh, well, that,
1: that's a hard one. Um, I guess it's got to be the rookie. But Gus Edwards, when we get to him, uh, I want to break down his numbers because he is no slouch for a guy. Another guy who if he was by himself or there's just two guys. He's gonna put up some numbers, but J.K. Dobbins looks like the real deal to me. Uh, he crushed it in Ohio State uh, last last year as a as a junior. 324 touches, 2,250 yards, and 23 touchdowns. Uh, he is a third down back. He is like Mark Ingram. He is a, he can play on every he can or uh, he can play on every down. The guy has four four five speed, 43 inch vertical, um, 147 almost spark, and a four 4.09 shuffle. Athletic specimen and he's gonna be he's gonna have so much room to go because you have Lamar Jackson on that run pass offense. You can't have the DNs crash because if they do, Lamar Jackson is more lethal than anybody on on the field. He's just gonna take off. Um at five ten two ten at four four speed. This guy looks like the real deal. And he doesn't have to be in year one because they have so much depth. It's it's crazy.
0: Yeah, another guy who sounds like you with the athletic profile. You should have <laughs> You should have gone out there on the field with Hollywood Brown and, and Lamar Jackson. Maybe they could have found a spot for you in this backfield. But, yeah, I guess he has the, experience, the recent experience at Ohio State to go off of. And I, I, I like how he's so strong in between the tackles and, you know, tons of yards after contact. I mean, really physical. 73 forced missed tackles last year. So just fits into this this scheme and this mentality in Baltimore really well. Um, and, and I think a a terrific selection here as the lead running back of the future. So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see, you know, how much he gets in terms of like the first six, eight weeks of the season, because we do still have Gus Edwards. So uh, talk to me about those numbers that stand out for you with, with Gus.
1: Yeah. It's the same with Dobbins and everyone. It's very hard to play them because there's just so many of them and you, especially Dobbins is as a rookie, And as this whole situation is going on, I can't play him early in the season. Uh, But if I knew he was getting 15 to 20 touches, I would love to play him. But in terms of Edwards, two years in the league, he's averaged. He's had over 700 yards both years, and he's only started a handful of games that first year when uh, when he took over and when Lamar Jackson took over as well. But both years, 5.2 yards per carry and then last year, 5.3 yards per carry. Uh, this guy's no slouch he, he's ineffective change of pace back he averaged more yards after contact than he does before contact uh, another big bruiser and you just you don't want to you don't want to chase around Lamar Jackson all day and then get beat up in between the tackles by these guys um, but this guy if he had if he was on his own team another guy I would like to target in fan or DFS and fantasy because he's not going to become expensive for you um, and if they didn't add Dobbins, I'd like him as a cheaper play to steal some touchdowns from Ingram or Jackson when you know that they're going to have a big lead, and then they'll play him more than Ingram down the stretch. But now that they do have Dobbins, and I'm assuming Justice Hill might even get more involved this year, it's just hard to count on these guys. It, it's it's one of those situations where there's too much of a good thing that
0: it hurts us. Yeah, it's well said, because last year without Dobbins, the guy averaged over five yards per carry, played every week, but he only hit value twice, even though his price was low. It never got above 5,000 on DraftKings, but you're right. It just never paid off. He just didn't get enough touches. He did get one start at the last last week of the season, and he had 21 carries for 130 yards, so he showed that talent, but he just he's just not getting the opportunity. So I agree. I don't think I could play Dobbins or Edwards early, and really depending on Ingram, I probably wouldn't play him either. <laughs> Um, despite the fact that these guys are all great rushers. And, you know, i got to mention that Gus Edwards meets our our fun statistical profile that we like with consistency. This guy, he does nothing but get 130 carries and 710 yards. (laughs) (laughs) You know, exactly, almost exact numbers back-to-back years. So I love that consistency. But you got to figure that's going to change with Dobbins. And then, as you mentioned, Justice Hill, he's still here. What's your outlook for him in 2020?
1: Uh, well he was he was a, their fourth round pick last year and he had a pretty disappointing uh rookie year but he still has big time talent um he but he's gonna be what fourth on the depth chart now it's gonna be hard to make an impact unless there's injuries in front or trades um he he actually speaking of trades maybe maybe they trade him for a pick maybe they get a, a fifth or sixth round pick back because they now they have dobbins um Edwards and Ingram are still there. They have so much depth here. It's just, it's a fool's errand here to just try and grab one of these guys because they're so good. And the thing that I saw last year that I liked about them all is they were willing to take their role. They didn't need to be the alpha dog. They were willing to play as a team and as a, a committee and just dominate everybody else as a team because of it.
0: Yeah, you're right. I mean, Hill would be the perfect trade bait. I mean, we can think of teams that would could use a little bit of depth like – And we talked about Cincinnati and, uh, you know, how they only go too deep over there with Mixon and Bernard, but you know, you got to figure that Ravens aren't going to trade with a division rival, but you know, there's other teams out there where, you know, they could certainly get something back for Hill. Um, and speaking of trades, Dobbins came because of a trade. It was Hayden Hurst, the tight end, who they sent to Atlanta along with a fourth round pick to get Dobbins. So, um, you know, really, really nice move there again for the Ravens. And, you know, maybe that's the signal that, you know, they had Hill for a year and they just weren't quite thrilled with his return on value as a fourth round pick. So in comes Dobbins and, and you know, maybe Hill will, will be sent out here at some point. So let's transition to this wide receiver group. And you uh, got to start with Hollywood Brown, right? <laughs> you got to. Yeah. Uh Another
1: guy, Speedster, as I was watching him the other day in Hollywood, Florida, just, <laughs> just burning up burning up the, the grass. There was no one guarding him, but he was running great out there. Uh, so last year as a rookie, 71 targets, 46 catches, 584 yards, nothing to really steer you in that direction of saying all star, but seven touchdowns as a rookie is really good. And then a pass for or a run first team. Uh, Jackson only had 3,100. Uh, passing yards so the volume for all of these receivers because there is a lot of them that are pretty good but it's going to be hard for any of them to eclipse a thousand yards in my opinion so it's more of a matchup based tfs target i guess um but for five he's only five 170 pounds so we didn't think people were not sure how he would hold up every day but this dude is fast and he's he's quick off the line of scrimmage he accelerates in and out of breaks with authority um and he can obviously take the lid off of defense i saw that in the first game of the season uh and his cousin is antonio brown who was once the best receiver in football um but for he only played four games over 65 percent of the snaps so he's, he wasn't in, in a lot of in a lot of the playbook, especially as a rookie, um, especially as this team likes two tight end sets and this team likes to run. So he didn't play a lot of snaps. He had zero games over 80% of snaps. Uh, so I think last year is pretty much his floor, maybe a touchdown regression, but I should see an uptick in catches and yards as he gets more involved in the offense. Uh, but this is, again, a run-first team, and it's hard to trust any receiver, but if I will outside of the tight ends – it's him because of his giant big play upside, and that's where I'm going to target in GPPs.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned the kind of the lower snap count. You know, He finished at 51% on the season, but this was a, a wide receiver group that was really just spread out so much. You had Willie Sneed in there for 61% of the snaps, which led the group. Miles My, Boykin was in there for 38%, and then Seth Roberts was in there for 50% of the snaps. And he's the one guy who's left. He's now with Carolina. So I'm hoping that there's a little bit more clarity because it was just a mess. You had all these wide receivers out there last year, all these different tight ends, you know, not, not, not to mention all the running backs. I mean, Harbaugh really cycled guys in there. Um, and so that, that did hurt Brown with his volume. You know, he did miss a couple games. But after that monster outing in week one, he was – you know, he was kind of touchdown dependent, you know, just yeah. because that volume was low and he only paid off value five out of the 14 weeks. But, you know, with with all these other second year receivers, we see it so much in the NFL. Now, I'm expecting big things for him coming in healthy, a full year under his belt, um, all this recent training down in Hollywood. Uh, so I think the arrow pointing up for Marquise Brown. He's certainly the the guy I'll target first out of this group. Yeah, Just, you know, because of that explosiveness. I think
1: he's, uh, I like to compare a lot of guys who are boom or bust, uh, especially when they have the talent, because this, is, this guy is no slouch, to a Deshaun Jackson. And I think he, he's similar in a Deshaun Jackson mold where he's super fast. He can take the lid off of defenses, but the consistency isn't always there. And if you're trying to play him in a cash game, it's not the smartest thing. But if you're trying to go for that big play touchdown upside, then that's where you want to target him because uh, he. I mean, he, he has that. He is the most explosive player on this team, but it's just a matter of are they going to get the ball to him? Because they are, they ran 600 times last year, and I think they're going to try and do it again if they can.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, well, well said there on on the cash game versus the GPPs. Now, what about the rest of this group? Uh, let's start with the guys coming back. Are you excited about Willie Sneed or Miles Boykin? Um, to me, Willie
1: Sneed is just a – Solid veteran. He's just not, a guy, right? He's just a guy, he's just, yeah. He's
0: just out there. He, just he trying does to find his job. He's trying to find a hole in the zone. Just mm-hmm. exactly. You know, give me give me four or five catches a week for 60 yards. <laughs> that's all I want.
1: Yep. He does his job. Um, he's a veteran. He's a pretty good blocker in his own right. But he's not someone I'm going to target. He's a, if, on, a, on a regular team, on a team that's trying to win a championship, yeah, uh, I would like you to be my third, fourth receiver. That's quality. That's quality depth right there and a reliable veteran. But for DFS, where I'm trying to get the biggest bang for my buck, he is not who I would be targeting. Miles Borkin, on the other hand, uh, doesn't have the gaudy college numbers as other people coming out. He was this was a, this is going to be a second year in the league, but his athletic numbers are off the charts. Uh, again, there's not enough volume for me in this pass offense to want to target him. But I just want to say the. Um, 6'4, 220 pounds with 4'4"2 four, four, speed. It's kind of like the Mike Evans prototype, uh, and he has the ability to to, to leap over people. Uh, and he could be a very good GPP play uh, at 226'4. That's a big red zone target. It's just I don't think he's he's kind of a touch. He would be a touchdown dependent guy, similar to Marquise Brown, because this team doesn't want to. This team wants to pound, just pound away, pound away, pound away. And then uh, score. And then there's Mark Andrews there, who who is also a very good red zone target. But I see a little uptick in his numbers from last year because they weren't pretty much weren't there at all. But again, it's just I can't really rely on anybody.
0: Yeah, I mean, only 13 catches despite playing 38 percent of the snaps. So he certainly took a backseat to his fellow rookie, Hollywood Brown, last year. And I'm with you on Sneed. I mean, the guy just has no ceiling whatsoever last year. <laughs> No games over 20 fantasy points. Um, just kind of a boring, you know, return on investment in fantasy. And his, his numbers were down. He, you know, in New Orleans, three of his previous four seasons, he'd had at least 60 receptions. But in this low-volume uh, passing offense, he only caught 31 balls last year, even though he played 16 games. So uh, just not going to cut it there. So I, I'm going to fade those guys to start. Um Now, before we get to the tight ends, we do have two rookie uh, options that we can add to this mix. Devin DuVernay out of Texas in the third round, and James Proche out of SMU in the sixth round. And I wanted to compare these guys, you know, as a duo, because I think they have a very similar profile. Yeah. Um, You know, in terms of size, 5'10", 200, 5'11", 201. Um, You know, DuVernay good speed at 439 but the, the strange thing about him is that he looks more like a running back than a wide receiver yeah, yeah he's phys- he's
1: a big physical guy yeah uh, he in another person who can just he breaks tackles and he's he's dangerous in space um but like you said he, he's he's super fast too and it's it's just he's kind of similar to a lot of these guys who are big and physical but they're fast on this team and that's how they like to play but one thing i saw about him he only dropped 5 of 244 intended passes uh, at Texas. Uh, he doesn't drop anything. So he's a speed guy who can take the lid off you. Uh, he's dangerous in space, and he's sure-handed. But again, uh, on another team, maybe I would go after him this year, but there's a lot of guys on this in this group that do that.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, I'm glad you mentioned the, the lack of drops. Um, and it's the same thing with Proch. Proch had... Only uh, nine drops with 312 career catchable passes. And so really a very similar ratio. They, they, they don't drop the ball. Uh, DuVernay was a little bit better at breaking tackles. I think that's really the main difference between these two. He had, he forced 23 missed tackles last year, uh, approached only 11. Uh, and, and then the other difference is that DuVernay played 99% of the s- snaps out of the slot. And... I think this is a wise investment in in, for the Ravens to get a guy like this who's physical and fast in the slot. I I think, you know, I'd be more excited about him long-term than Snead at this point for sure. (laughs) So, you know, let's see if he can, you know, get, get the playbook here and he can also, you know, run out of the backfield, wildcat jet sweep. I mean, they're just going to get the ball in this guy's hands. Um, He ran uh, one of the highest amount of uh, screens in terms of uh, receptions, uh, screen passes out of the slot. Uh, same thing with Prosh. Um So he, I think it's great that they take two guys with a similar uh, profile and hope that at least one of them pays off. And you got to figure that Duvernay uh, will get the first shot at it. So if we, again, you know, I've mentioned this a couple times. If we have a preseason, um, I, I take a shot in him. Take a shot on him in the preseason. You know, yeah. Maybe not the first couple weeks of the regular season, but uh, I think a, a player that fits this profile who's reliable and fast in the slot could be a real upgrade for this offense.
1: Yeah. Uh, I like that preseason call because you know he's going to get more playing time, especially in the preseason. Uh, and he, he does th- – both of them kind of thrive in traffic, and they like to get physical. So uh, I, I like this investment too. And it's kind of funny, their receiver group, I mean their tight end group, their running back group, they all – don't play a ton of snaps in as as you would if you were a featured wide, a number one wide receiver or number one running back, but they're all willing to sacrifice for the greater good of the team. And uh, if they didn't get, if they didn't run into Derrick Henry last year, they might have been the ones holding up the trophy.
0: Yeah, it was one of the strangest games uh, <laughs> because the Ravens they had no trouble moving the ball down the field. It was just those weird fourth down plays that they didn't convert. And, you know, everything fell perfectly for the Titans. So very strange. Um, I also I did want to mention Marquise Brown in that game in the playoffs. He had seven catches for 126. So, you know, that stood out to me as, again, the leader of this wide receiver group who, you know, had some bumps along the way in his rookie season. But then when the pressure was on, um, Lamar Jackson was looking his way often in the playoffs. So I think he'll build off of that. Hollywood not folding to the pressure? That makes sense. All <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, right. <laughs> so let's talk about this uh, tight end group next because, you know, this is another one of those positions where it was just a mess last year because, <laughs> you know, Hayden Hurst was – he got uh, 41% of the snaps and 30 receptions. Nick Boyle had – uh Nick Boyle had 70% of the snaps and 31 catches. And then Mark Andrews, you know, he's obviously the best receiver in the group. He was out there for 41% of the snaps and managed to get 64 catches. So with Hayden Hurst gone, uh, how, strong, how how confident do you feel that Mark Andrews can improve on his season numbers from last year?
1: Um, pretty confident. Uh,
0: I like Marquise Brown as the biggest
1: upside guy, but if there's a safe – Receiver, tight end, whatever, pass catcher, whatever you want to call them, in this group, it's Mark Andrews. He's he's shown in the last year and a half with Lamar Jackson that they have a connection there. There is something there with him that, uh, especially in the red zone, that he's he just likes him. So the funny thing that you you mentioned the snap counts last year, Mark Andrews never once played over 57% of the snaps in any game. Um, every single game of of the regular season, Nick Boyle played more percentage of the snaps than Mark Andrews. That's insane. And then you think of the what he put up he, as the de facto pretty much number one target on the team. 98 targets, 64 catches, 852 yards, 10 touchdowns. Uh, at 6'5", 256, this is a big, massive body uh, red zone target, but not just a red zone guy. He's He was creating a lot of separation down the seams, kind of like a, a, a wider mm-hmm. Gronk. Uh, just running down the seams, getting open on the run-pass options, on the play-action fakes. Um, Ten games with seven-plus targets as a tight end. Uh, give me that all day on a team that needs to score, and there's so much uh, like depth around every position. This is the one guy that was the most consistent. Uh, even if you throw in the running back situations, Mark Ingram, there was no one more consistent besides Lamar Jackson than Mark Andrews on the team.
0: Yeah, I agree. I'm excited about Mark Andrews. I'm excited that there's going to be more clarity without Hayden Hurst. You know, I mean, they had a lot of two tight end sets last year. But, I mean, it's it's significant, a guy like Hurst with 30 catches and two scores being out of there. Let, let's give a few more targets to Mark Andrews, um, a guy who did pay off in fantasy, hit value six times. But he also had the good ceiling. He started out with a bang. He had those early yeah. weeks of 27 and 28 And then down the road, he had a 23 and a 27. So, you know, terrific production for a tight end. Uh, I like him in cash games and GPPs. Boyle, I I don't think I'll play much, you know, unless it's a very unique situation. Um, But the nice thing about Andrews is that he really stepped up when you thought he would step up against the teams that are weak against the tight end like Cleveland, Cincinnati, Arizona. You know, we could invest in him last year hoping for a big game and he got it. And I'll certainly go back to the well uh, again this year with him.
1: Yeah. So I, I think he's just the safest option um, as a skill position players on this team, obviously outside of the MVP, big trust. <laughs> but uh, Nick Boyle, on the other hand, this was his best receiving year in the league. He was uh, he drafted in 2015, but 31 catches, 321 yards, two touchdowns. Those were his first two touchdowns in the league uh, in five years. So he played pretty well again and I think but he's a he's a second fiddle he's more of a blocking tight end he's they're probably going to run a lot of two tight end sets with them uh, take out Hayden Hurst's snaps and it's could probably going to go both to them because they do like to run the ball they want the extra blocking and they want the extra lineman out there so I can see him getting maybe out snapping Andrews again but um, I wouldn't want to target him on, on DFS but he it was his best year ever so uh, maybe there's something there on if you're taking a Quick Hail Mary, and you only have a couple thousand left. But besides that, you can leave them alone.
0: Right. Absolutely. Well, uh, before we transition to one more look at the draft, Santino, for the folks out there who want to know about your whereabouts and and track your travels across the country as we break down the NFL, where can everybody find you on Twitter?
1: You can find me at Santino Coccon. That's at S-A-N-T-I-N-O-C-A-C-C-O-N-E.
0: Excellent. And you can find me on Twitter at 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 language olympic uh so santino we've talked a lot about the second round draft pick here at jk dobbins uh we've talked a fair amount about their two receivers that they picked up in the draft uh any final thoughts on uh, some of the other picks uh including on the defensive side
1: yeah so their first round pick was patrick queen and they also drafted malik harrison in the third kind of touched on them in the beginning uh they're, Patrick Queen's going to start probably at middle linebacker day one. Malik Harrison might start on the weak side. Um, if not, he's going to be prominently into the rotation from day one because they did lose two starting linebackers from last year. That that's going to be an interesting spot for them. Uh, they they have Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, Earl Thomas, Jimmy Smith. Uh, this secondary is set, and they brought in Calais Campbell, Derek Wolfe. This this front seven or this the front. Uh, the three in their 3-4 is pretty set. It's going to be come down to those two guys because Matt Judon, uh, Pernell McPhee, those those are really good guys. Uh, it's going to come down to these two rookies to see how the defense goes, and I think they're up for it because they have so much talent around them that they're not going to have to uh, be stars from day one. But they also drafted Justin – I can't really say his last name – Justin M. Matabuke. I, I butcher it every time. Uh, defensive tackle. He's going to – pretty much rotate in probably on day one. I don't know if he will overtake Derek Wolf, but he should rotate in and play a pretty significant role there. Um, and then they, they drafted two linemen, Tyrell Phillips, or Tyree Phillips and Ben Breederson. One of them might potentially get a starting job. Uh, I, I'm assuming DJ Fluker has the inside job at the guard spot, but one of them could overtake him or Ben Powers. And, um, yeah, they, they – they drafted 10 guys, so there's there's a little bit of turnover, but the the core pieces are still in place for this team to win another 14 games.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's going to be exciting to see how it all comes together. And um, I wanted to give everybody the update on the schedule here as we wrap up the draft coverage of the Ravens as we, and we wrap up the AFC North. We are going to transition straight to the AFC East. Ooh, and the best division in football <laughs> and we we have to give santino the day off tomorrow to to prep for the dolphins on friday uh that's his team he knows that team inside and out he'll probably be back in florida for that podcast <laughs> um santino do you want to give everybody a bit of a preview of, of of what to expect i mean what you might be wearing um you know how much excitement everybody can expect as you break down tua Oh uh, well, the Tua excitement is going to be evident. The rest <laughs>
1: of the team, uh, just 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 somewhat excitement. I, I know what is in store for the season. It's not all sunshine and rainbow, but the future is bright with with that introduction of Tua. We might have to play the oh, <laughs> and put a <laughs> halo over, but uh, yeah, I'm gonna be I'm very excited. I can't wait for. I can't wait to see him play. I just we needed something, some positive momentum for the future. And we finally have it.
0: That's right. (laughs) Uh, And as the listeners know, it's always sunshine and rainbows with Santino Cocone on the show. (laughs) So thank you again for your excellent work on the Ravens. I had had fun. Uh, And as I mentioned, uh, check back in tomorrow, everybody, as we continue our daily coverage of the NFL from a DFS perspective as we transition to the AFC East. And that's going to do it for today. On behalf of Santino Cocon, I am Andrew Hanson. Thank you so much for joining us here on DFS Coach Talk.